welcome to our first episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland, and I know that you're listening in right now because you can't wait to hear the voices of the two stars of this show, Mr. Jerry Lynn and Mr. Mikey Whipwreck. So you know what? Before we go any further, let's bring the two guys in right now. Let me give you a little rundown of these guys. When it comes to Mikey, not that this is going to be a roast, but Mikey is a triple crown winner in ECW. He's a two-time world television champion. He's a former ECW champion and a three-time tag team champion. His partner, Jerry Lynn, is a Ring of Honor champion, an ECW champion, a two-time TNA X Division champion, a former WWF Light Heavyweight champion, two-time NWA tag team champion, and the WWA International Cruiserweight champion. He was trained by Eddie Sharkey and Brad Rang. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there listening to this introduction, and I'm listening to Jerry's pedigree, and I'm like, God, I suck. Well, I was worried when he said you were the Triple Crown winner, I was expecting, and we have the Triple Crown loser, Jerry Lynn. <laughs> no, you guys have great resumes. Are you kidding me? I just wanted to try to spread it out as, as best as I could right now, but there's so many things that we could talk about as far as your careers are, are concerned because they they have gone down in history. ECW fans love you guys. And ECW fans are probably the most diehard and loyal people I have come across, whether it be over social media or even face-to-face. So I guess the big question everybody's kind of wondering right now, why is Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck doing a podcast right now? So guys, tell me, what brought you to the dance? What brought you into the podcasting world? Because you asked us. (laughs) That's exactly true, 100%. there's, There's gotta be a little bit more as well because I'm sure you guys have had you guys have either had the itch or you've had people that have come to you at conventions and whatnot and said hey why why don't we hear your side of the story so have you guys ever been approached before about doing something like this go ahead no no just you oh great I've had a lot of people over the years ask me if I'm going to write a book but the problem with that is a lot of it's foggy because it was you know 24 years of wrestling so I'd need about at least two dozen people to help me remember things and stories and then it, you know when someone brings up something it comes back to me but uh, it, it went by so fast it was like a blur but um, and every once in a while I'll get people you know had a lot of requests to do podcasts you know be a guest on them and I've done them and stuff but never thought about doing one myself but I think I was I was shooting the breeze with Brian Fritz one time and was talking about it a little bit but at the time I I don't think I was ready but when you mentioned it or something I don't know I guess timing was right I thought it'd be a uh, a fun thing to do because whenever Mikey and I get together we turn into Beavis and Butthead uh, two, two idiots same thing <laughs> I will be the, uh, I'll try to be the ringmaster as best that I can. One thing I do definitely want to talk to you guys about here, when it comes to the topic of ECW, and you guys probably now looking back at your careers, probably realize now, as opposed to when you were right in the midst of it, what kind of a a wrestling phenomenon it was. So do you guys want to touch upon a little bit about what that's like looking back at what you guys were a part of and just the frenzy that was ECW? Go ahead, Mike. You were there first at the beginning, so. I was there at the beginning. It's it's really amazing when you think about it because you know we're just there doing our thing you know the rejects the guys WWF and WWE and, and WCW didn't want you know and then to look back 20 25 years later at the impact we made and how people still remember the things these fans remember it's unbelievable the detail and just the clarity that a lot of these people come up to me with and I'm just looking at them like I don't recall any of this that's because they weren't taking chair shots from <laughs> Balls Mahoney I had them in my last contract <laughs> 
I had legitimately in my contract that I was not in, I was in no way, shape, or form uh, going to be put in the position to take a chair for a chair shot from balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great stipulation. <laughs> if it happened, it was an immediate breach. <laughs> if you live through it. I think an interesting thing about that is, you know, kind of when we talk about things, and I know Jerry has mentioned this to me privately before, but, you know, he did refer to ECW as kind of the, the land of misfit toys, you know, and, and, and Mike, you just touched upon it, you know, the promotion where really wasn't a fit in either one of the other companies, and you guys all kind of came together with ECW. Now, I know a lot of people who are diehard ECW fans probably know the lineage and the kind of background history behind ECW, but for some of the fans who are just kind of getting acclimated to everything, They might have seen your matches. They might have seen you guys, you know, on the WWE Network, or they might have seen you guys on YouTube. Let me just kind of give you just kind of a brief rundown of what was going on that kind of sets the stage for what this podcast is going to be about, and specifically what's going to happen in this introductory episode. So I think I just figured it out. Why Jerry has so many Twitter followers already? Why? What happened? As, as we're exposed to my matches on the WWE Network. And like, <laughs> the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> Keep in mind, you can get the network for only nine ninety nine. Don't so. plug that shit. We don't get royalties for that. <laughs> hey, maybe we can get big and we'll get our show on their network. You never know. No, thank you. Or MLW Radio. I couldn't say fuck if I was on the WWE Network. That's true. That would have to get bleeped. I curse a lot. I've noticed. It's in contract. It's in your contract in this show that you have to curse at least 10 or 12 times a minute. So, Well, then I'm going to get extra. <laughs> I told Mikey, I said, I don't know if I want a lot of cursing. He says, well, what the F am I going to talk about? <laughs> well, here, here's the concept well, I came normally, from. Normally I do these podcasts and he's like, oh, it's going to be this. I In my head, I'm constantly saying in my head, don't say fuck. Don't say fuck. Don't say fuck. <laughs> and then I go, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I said fuck. Great. <laughs> oh. All right, guys. So we talked, listen, we talked, we talked about Jerry. We talked about the delay. Uh-huh. The yeah. seven second delay. Yeah. <laughs> Only 20 is- seconds. By the time you figure out what the fuck I said, <laughs> he just, yeah, he did. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Well, it is my podcast, so yeah. This is true. You guys can do whatever you want. That sounds like Paul Heyman. I'm just a secretary. Who needs coffee? That's Spago Reservation we're talking about. I'll make sure <laughs> yes. I, get, I get on that. And how many am I making that for? Just two. Just two. Just two. <laughs> Both your balls, right? <laughs> Great. I'm having dinner with a set of balls. <laughs> At least it'll oh, be memorable. D- oh, dinner with people I love the most. <laughs> Oh, so I got that going for me. So ECW, or at least the the beginnings of ECW, was back in 1989 under the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, which was owned by Joel Goodhart. So Joel had a business partner, and his name was Todd Gordon. And not too long after that, Todd ended up buying out Joel, and he renamed it Eastern Championship Wrestling. Well, Eddie Gilbert was the booker at the time, but he and Todd had a falling out, and then something happened. Something happened that kind of changed the landscape of ECW. In enters Paul Heyman. He changes it from Eastern Championship Wrestling to Extreme Championship Wrestling. And as they say, now you know the rest of the story. So let me ask you guys this question here. So back in that time, wrestling really was at a down point. So from all the research that I've done, it was really a good time for ECW to kind of slide in there. In 1992, the World Wrestling Federation was having issues from the George Sahorian 
issue selling steroids to the wrestlers. Not a good thing. And WCW was losing money hand over fist with Jim Hurd and Dusty Rhodes. And then Bill Watts came in to take over. So you guys were really positioned at this point to really do some good business because the industry was really looking for something new and fresh. And what Paul was trying to do really was very innovative. So let me ask you guys this question, first of all, and it probably goes to Mikey first. How did you find out about being offered a job with ECW? How did that come about and who contacted you? Uh, For me, it was just a guy by the name of Sonny Blaze owned a wrestling ring. He lived up in Long Island and ECW needed a ring. So Sonny said to me, he goes, hey, we're going to do this ring crew for this this group of ECW down in Philadelphia. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And we got to the arena. I'm like, this place is a shithole. This is nice. (laughs) What fucking company is this? You know, so we put, we put the ring up and after, after we put the ring up, I just do like high spots and stuff with my friends, just basic stuff. I think I did like a backflip off the top, maybe landed on my feet. And I guess Joey Styles saw me doing high spots. And he, he called Paul E. Next thing I know, Paul says to me, Hey, you want to wrestle? And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, because back, you got to figure back then, you know, somebody, you know, five foot, you know, five foot nine, you know, 180 pounds, you know, up in the Northeast, you know, th- I wasn't going to get a career or do anything in the business. You know what I mean? It was land of giants up here. I can sympathize. Yeah. See? So for me, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to break in or anything. So I had no aspirations and no, no, you know, delusion that I was going to be any type of wrestling superstar. So yeah, you want to wrestle? I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Okay. You know, I'll just go get beat up. I'm pretty good at that. You know, and it just, it just took off from there. So I never actually was like offered a job to be like a wrestler. It was like, I was like the ring crew guy and then just the job guy, you know, and it just kind of morphed from there. But I was just supposed to be a job guy, you know, just go get beat up. It just progressed. You know, it was, uh, Sonny Blaze was the guy who trained me. Okay. So Sonny trained you. And, I, and by training me, I mean he taught me to work the left and say hello to everyone in the locker room. Wow. And after about a month of training, I knew more than he did. You know? so he, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that to be a dick. It's just, it was a fact, you know. And guys just like the Power Twins would come in. They were like uh, the twins. They did, uh, they were in Ocean's Eleven. They were the guys outside of George <laughs> Clooney was getting beat up, the fake beat up. Oh, I thought you were going to say they held their rings together and said, Power, Wonder Twin Powers activate. That's <laughs> not. not <laughs> Not That's before your time, <laughs> but yeah. So they would they would beat us up, and then there was a guy Chris Michaels would come in, and Tommy Cairo would come down, uh, and they would actually work with us. But these guys, the Power Twins, they were just assholes. They just beat us up, called us gerbils, wouldn't let us do anything, you know. But uh, so that's what Sonny taught us: just you know, work the left, and you know, be respectful and say hello to everyone in the locker room. And that's kind of just what I did in ECW. You know, I just. Kept my mouth shut, did what I was told, and uh, you know when they asked me if I wanted to wrestle, I just said yes. So, who were some of the guys that like were at least decent to you? I mean, it sounds like these guys were just prick city, but like who was who was good to you when you first came in there? Everybody, everybody was nice to me. It, it, it was it was crazy. Like guys from like Kerry Funk to Shane Douglas to Sabu to Taz to Paulie to Dreamer. I mean, World War Hawk was there. Oh, Hawk's awesome. Jimmy Snooker was there. You know, and I was just, you know, 20 years old, 187 pounds, you know, green as goose shit, not knowing a damn thing. Was Bam Bam there? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Mr. Hughes was there. He was actually my first match. You know, but I didn't know anything. I just came in. I just, mostly I was just like completely like starstruck, you know, like seeing the guys like Terry Funk and Kevin Sullivan was there and fuck Nancy Sullivan was there and and Sherry Martell was there. You know, so for, for me, being 20 years old and being a wrestling fan since the time I'm like, you know, six years old, I mean, I was like... This is like fucking crazy. <laughs> you didn't try to fanboy out too much, right? Well, of course. I only fanboy out for Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I, let, I let him take pictures of my Heiner. Well, he had to. I caught him taking pictures of mine first. <laughs> 
Hey, it goes back and forth. It's only fair. People can listen to this and go, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Although there, there is a fan in uh, Pennsylvania, two hours out of Philly, that knows exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly true. <laughs> if you're listening to this, please feel free to write the show. <laughs> so what was your first interactions with Paul? I mean, obviously, you know, you were offered a gig, but... What was your impression of him? Did you feel like this guy is straight? He's straight with me, or did you feel like ah, there's a little bit of a little bit of a business edge to him? No, he was cool as shit. Completely not a boss. You know what I mean? He came. Hey, do you want to wrestle? I said, yeah. He said, okay, great. And he patted me on the back. And he walked away, and that was it. So I think I had two or three matches. I know I had to wrestle uh, Taz and Kevin Sullivan, Mr. Hughes. I don't know if there's, there's more than that. I don't remember at this point. But I had, like, no gear. I had nothing. Like, that T-shirt, that dragon shirt, was just a shirt that my friend uh, Mike had gotten me for Christmas. I just had it in my bag. Like, I'd wear that Ashley just out, you know, as a civilian. And, so you, uh, you were ready to go out even after the match. Yeah, like, I didn't plan on wrestling. Like, I didn't even think it was, like, an option, you know? So I just had, you know, that T-shirt in my bag. I, par- I borrowed a pair of of red shorts from Donnie Allen and I had you know sneakers you know, that, I, that I would just wear and that's it that's all I that's all I knew so I remember that it was sitting there and they said Mikey Whipwreck go to the ring and I'm like I'm just sitting there You're like I don't you know I don't know who the fuck that is <laughs> <laughs> so you know Mikey Whipwreck go to the ring I'm looking around going fuck okay you know and then Paulie goes Mikey Whipwreck go to the ring and I'm looking this Mikey guy's in trouble I'm like I don't know. <laughs> well you, you know it was your, you remember the arena that the stairs went up to the stage, you know, yep. and Paul comes stomp. Now, now I'm like just wondering what the fuck is going on here. Like, this is like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Well, Paul does the Paul Heyman walk. He walks all the way up to me. He goes, are you going to go to the ring? And I'm like, why? He goes, you're Mikey Whipwreck. And I went, oh, fuck. It would have been nice of him to let you know your new name. I'm in the business five minutes. I'm already in trouble. <laughs> Wait a minute. So so who did you find out gave you the name? Was that Paul himself? I, 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 yeah, I guess so. I, I, was, I, I didn't know anything like i like, my name shipwreck like shipwreck like what, 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 I, don't, I don't know what my name is I'm like, I don't know. this kid looks like a shipwreck i i just i just remember mr hughes going with with you know the figure that doesn't bend looking at me going hey kid you take a sidewalk slam yes sir you're gonna sharp real high yes sir good that's all he said to me you know so i was my first match I'm already getting in trouble. I'm already, in, I'm like, I'm like, I'm already getting yelled at. I go, I feel like I'm at home with my parents, you know. And then, you know, just wrestling Curtis again. And he was like ungodly easy, like so so easy. And I jumped real high for the sidewalk slam. He, well, he, he told me he almost lost me. That's how high I went, you know. But it was, but it was great, you know. But I didn't have any thought that I was going to make any type of impact on this business at all. Like I'm just going to go. I'm going to be the beat up guy. I'm good with that. So when did you when did you end up finding out? Obviously, because you know Paul told you to get out there. But did they ever tell you the origins of how they came up with your name? Like like uh, I I remember when I was doing a match with Chad Austin, and before I got there, he was like the golden boy. I mean, he was doing like spots and things like that. He was like the the young kid that was getting like the, the little push, I guess. I came in not just like a dick, but I kind of I kind of stole stole the spotlight from him a little bit, you know. And I remember we were doing this match, and he told he says to me when I started getting a little bit of a push. Uh, as like the beat up guy, he's like, look, I don't know what you're going to, I don't know what you're thinking. He goes, but with a name like yours, you're never going to get over. He said, your name is just a, f- a takeoff on Dennis Whipwreck. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> you know, and then I found you know, Dennis was a promoter down there. 
you know, at the Maryland, I think. But I didn't know that Paul was using other promoters' names and kind of tweaking them and making job guys. Like, we had Joel Hartgood, you know, we had, Jeez. uh, instead of Dennis Whitbrick, it was Mikey Whitbrick, but I didn't know what he was. But I just remember Chad saying to me, he goes, you know, with, with that name and this gimmick, he goes, you're never going to get over. I said, and I said to him, I said, I'm not trying to get over. I'm just here just to, you know, wrestle. I don't really, you know, I was working at Kmart overnight in the garden shop. That was my job. I had benefits. You know, I was one of those, I'm cool with this right now. You know, I had no, no, like I said, no, no delusions in my head that I was going to be any of this wrestling superstar. You know, but, but when he told me that, you know, well, you know, a name like that, you're never going to get over, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm like the guy around here. I was like, okay, fucker. Yeah. So you go out there, you do the job for Mr. Hughes, you come back thinking that you're probably already, already in trouble before you even get started. What is, what does Paul say to you? What does Paul say to you as far as how you did out there? Does he even address you afterwards? Oh, or yes. Was- he came right up to me and said, that was amazing. Thank you. I said, no, thank you. You're welcome. And I just went. And then I talked to Taz and Kevin Sullivan at some point. And then I think the, the, uh, you know, the, the clips on, on Twitter and stuff now with uh, Kevin, you know, breaking chairs over my head and all that stuff. But I remember that after, after the match with Kevin and Taz, um, they both thanked me. Uh, Paul came over and said, that was amazing. He goes, I owe you. And of course, you know, Jerry, you'll laugh. You know, he said it with his eyes closed. <laughs> but, <laughs> Just uh, like when you come back to the curtain and he says, that was the greatest match I've ever seen. Yes. Thank you. But yeah, no, it was just, you know, he said he owed me. I said, okay, no, thank you. And then, uh, you know, that was kind of it from there. It's just kind of, I was booked every show. So you just kept coming back. I just kept coming like, like an idiot, much to the dismay <laughs> of the side guy in the front row of ECW who hated my guts. I kept coming back. What was his reason? What was his beef for not liking you? He just hated me. Like, he just, he just, I don't know what it was. And like, at one point I said to him, I said, it was like the show was over, right? And the, it was like, the people, he was just like hanging around. I was trying to talk to him. He wouldn't talk to me even after the show, because I guess his gimmick was he didn't like me. So he had to keep his gimmick strong and not like me even after the show was over. Wait, did he had a gimmick, but he was just a fan. Yeah, he was the sign guy. He was, you know, the, he was the original guy that had the signs. Right. You know, yeah, he would have a sign. But his me. gimmick was he didn't like you. He didn't like me. He always had, he always had these signs where he just did not like me. What That's- what kind of gimmick is that? He's the sign guy. Because then, then eventually he became like the gimmick, the sign guy in the front row of ECW next to Hat Guy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then eventually we had Sign Guy Dudley, who was a mock of the sign guy, the real sign guy, who was a fan. So the real wrestling guy was a fake imitation of the fan and a real gimmick for the Dudleys of the sign guy. Well, that was the point I was making. So the, the original sign guy is just a fan like me or anybody on the street. Look at look at any show from the ECW arena in 1994, 95, 90, probably till it ended. Just to the left of the guy with the hat. John Bell, that guy, was the sign guy, and he fucking hated me. I love the fact that he hates you, and there's there's really no no reason, because you even tried to go up and talk to him, you know what I mean, and, and be a decent dude, but... 25 years later, I remember that this one fucking fan does not like me. <laughs> Have you ever had any conversations or seen him at any conventions since then? No. Wow, that's, uh... These, these ECW fans, let me tell you, these, guys, these people were fucked up. It's <laughs> it such a great, cool, awesome way. They want to be part of the fucking show. They I was going to say, my, I was going to say, and we weren't. <laughs> well, well, that goes without saying. But like, like the the fucking hat guy, the, the show would not start until he put his hat on. Once he stop, put his hat stop on, stop it, stop he, it. No, he would put the hat on. He would like tease it. He'd sit there without his hat, and you go, "Where's your hat? Where's your hat?" And then right by seven thirty or eight o'clock, whenever the show was going to start, he would stand up. He would pull out his hat. He would put it on. The people would fucking pop. 
And then we start the show. Now, now, did anybody backstage monitor this as far as, you know, a cue to start everything or? Not, not, you know, not, not like, an, okay, that's all we can start. But that's, he knew the show started at 8 o'clock. And right around 8 o'clock, he would stand up. He would pull the hat out like, like, a, like an old school heel. I want to pull Jesus. the part out he got out of his tights. He'd pull up his hat. It would pop. And he put it on. Just where? Where's your hat? Was a fucking chant. Did yeah, he ever tease putting it on and milk it? Like, oh, yeah. oh, oh. He, he probably did. Oh, okay. You know, show your tits, eat the crack whore, <laughs> each of you, and where's your hat? Why have these not turned into t-shirts? Get on that. Let's get on that. Jerry, yeah. let me ask you a question. Did you I have any? Know, but- you think a She's Got Herpes shirt would sell? Indeed it would. Okay. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> Taking the South Philadelphia. Jerry, did you have any beefs with that guy? I mean, it seems like Mikey had a really rough go. Did did he, you ever talk to him, or did he ever say anything to you? Or Yeah, I talked to him quite a few times. I didn't have any beefs with him. Jer- Jerry was a five-star technician. At what? I have no idea. Going back, it's talking about a, a technician. Talking about technician on Twitter. Why's I that? swore I never would. <laughs> I swore up and down I will never be on social media. You mean a you mean a pro wrestler lied? Yes, I lied. So. <laughs> I mean Francine and Blue Meanie were just were just beside themselves they were so excited about that. That's because I even told them at conventions I will never go on social media. Because you know, everyone says, uh, are you on Facebook? I'm like, No. And they look shocked. Like I'm the only person on the planet who's not on Facebook. Then I'd always reiterate I never will. But uh I learned my wife reminded me, never say never. And that's why that maybe we should have had guy on the show sometime, Mikey, so maybe we can kind of air all of this out. You know what I mean? I didn't have a problem with Hat Guy. Hat Guy was great. John Bailey, no. he's a good guy. There was no, I'm sorry, sign guy. guy. Sign guy. No, I don't even think I ever talked. No, I, I talked to Lou, but you're talking about a different sign guy, right? Yeah, the fan from the front row. Yeah. Just, I don't know if I talked to him or not. When, when I first started in ECW, he was fat. <laughs> right? Well, over the years, he started, he lost weight and got in shape. Like, I swore he was on the gas. I, I, you know. Oh, so he so, really hated you and wanted to kick your butt. Yeah. Like, he was like, I, I can take my game. <laughs> you should have told him, you wasted your money. You didn't need to get on the gas. <laughs> Say, hey, buddy, you hit me. I'll fall down. No problem. In fact, I'll stay there until you pick me up if need be. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll put you over in a heartbeat. Don't worry. I won't steal your heat. I'll make it look good, kid. Don't need to leave that shit in. You keep coming back, and and Paul obviously continues to sing your praises. Let me ask you this question, and I know this is obviously a taboo topic when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to money. Did you even ask for anything, or did they offer you anything when you kept coming back? Like, hey, thanks for coming out tonight. Appreciate that. Here's X amount. No. <laughs> kind of like at the end. Well, wow! Wow! We're 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 going there already. Full circle. Well, no, no, seriously though, it was uh, you know, I was just a ring crew guy, you know, so I made money doing the ring crew, and I was just wrestling for free until I forget whatever show it was. It's somewhere in Delaware, I think, where Paul goes, "Oh, hey, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna wrestle nine one one tonight. You're gonna take eighty seven choke slams." And I, I just looked at him and said, "You know what?" I said, "Paul, I said because those choke slams sucked because for whatever reason, <laughs> I didn't like bounce nicely. Like when I bump, you know, guys like you know they they you know they they slap out and they recoil and they get like a little bit of a bounce. No, I don't bounce. I yes, you do. I can I can say from experience you bounce. Remember when we wrestled each other and I can't remember what the bump was. It was a suplex or something, but we both bounced and on the recoil we. Collapsed lighted heads and you split my eyebrow wide open yeah. and but get this this is how good mikey was i didn't want to go to the emergency room or anything so mikey just said you got some tape 
And I said, yes. So he cut a few little stereo strips with the tape, taped my eyelid shut, and it's healed better than any other things I went to the emergency room and got stitched shut for. Honestly, though, for the most part, I don't bounce. If you if you watch any of the stuff from me from, you know, back in the day in that old ECW ring, that ring had no give. It was like it was almost like a boxing ring. And me being 185 pounds, that ring wouldn't move at all. So I would like just splat. <laughs> there, was, there was nothing. So I, when I, and you watch, you take, I take the toe slam. I, I just take it and I splat. I don't, there's no bounce at all. There's no like recoil. There's just blood. Question. Answer. Would he would he at le- least use body language or did he actually try and put you through the ring? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, it was that bad? <laughs> no. Because I always over the years hated taking a body slam the most. Because no one would let gravity do the work. It was like they wanted to try and put you through the mat. Yes. <laughs> and the best was, it always looked worse. Then you came down like ass first, and you're like, oh. Yeah, and scream like a girl. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. But I I just remember saying to Paul, you know, I was like, oh, 911, you, you take like four choke slams. And I just said to him, I said, you know, Paul, I said, I don't get paid for this. And he went, what? Like, like he looked shocked. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. He was shocked. He's like, he goes, he looks at me and goes, I'll take care of it. Okay. So I started, I started making, uh, I think it's like 50 bucks a night, 25, 50 bucks a night, something like that. So I was doing pretty good. Actually, I was getting paid, uh, 75 bucks to do the ring and then 50 bucks to wrestle. So I was actually doing pretty good for myself. Not you know? bad. No. So at this time, what happened to the guy that told you you would never make it with, uh, with your name? You'd never get over. What's going on with him at that point? He was gone. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you never made it. <laughs> Wait, I don't think he did. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I've talked to him after, you know, I haven't, seen him in years obviously but i mean i talked to him after that you know and he was always cool you know i think it was like he he, he said he had a, a falling out with paul differences of creative i guess i don't know yeah you could have offered him your ring job and then uh at least he would have been getting some money I could have, yeah but then i would make less that's true he wasn't a bad guy he was just you know i just think that you know he was you know like my age you know and i came in and i was kind of starting i was i was the one getting all the attention so i, I kind of if he's a little bit salty about it, i i definitely understand it so you had mentioned before when you had come in to set up the ring you didn't think very much of the building itself no so as far as the building goes did a lot of people kind of feel that way as well who were working there did they feel like it was kind of a dump or did they kind of overlook that no it was a dump it was a dump when we when we would first do tv we used to do uh like the traditional ecw arena show would be on the friday night right and then we would tape tv on saturday well we couldn't get anybody to go to the tv like we, we were offering at one point free hot dogs and beer just to come in to have people at the show yeah what did they typically charge for uh, for admittance i have no idea we'd have we'd ha- i'd have to go back and look at some of these old programs but you know 10 bucks 12 bucks i'm guessing maybe 20 for ringside i don't i don't really know this is going back 25 years now so i don't know what uh you know prices were well obviously the lore of ecw was the fact that it was it was extreme and you would see a lot of people in the in the front row or the first few rows bring in a lot of unique items now what are some of the crazier things that you remember when you first got there that you saw fans have that they wanted to try to give to the wrestlers a dildo wrapped in barbed wire wow i was gonna i was gonna gonna say say, when i was in wcw my buddy and i would get together at two o'clock in the morning and watch ecw on some obscure channel and i remember seeing fans handing over the rail like frying pans i think i even saw one time they handed over a microwave oven uh, <laughs> yeah and they, dreamer hit with, with a nintendo once yeah i was gonna bring up the nintendo, nintendo. yeah wait me oh god i did a fans bring the weapons match against sabu in michigan that is when his brother or his cousin ran a show and someone had the nintendo with a piece of tape on it that said sabu that they brought in and then someone made an actual homemade coffin <laughs> to put in the ring. <laughs> 
was it life size? Yes. I mean, it was like, I think it was shaped like them old school coffins with the little angle. You know, it looked a little gothic or whatever, yeah. but it was just plywood. And so we had it setting up in the corner. It was a three-way with me, Sabu, and Kevin Sullivan. I'm sorry that I went off on a tangent, but you were talking about weird weapons. And and then there was a skateboard. So first of all, when I first got there, I didn't even know what I was doing. And I asked one of the boys, they said, oh, you're in a fans bring the weapons match with Sabu and Kevin Sullivan. And I was like, yeah, right. I thought he was ribbing me. And so I went to, I think his name was Ed. And I asked him, I said, so what am I doing tonight? He said, it's true. Am I in a fans bring the weapons match? He says, yeah. I said, do you know what I do? He goes, well, yeah, we thought we'd bring you in the right way. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> you mean, you want to kill me? But it ended up being all right, because a lot of it was you pick up a weapon, you get kicked in the stomach, and you drop it. And it ended up the biggest pop of the match. I threw Sabu across the ring into the coffin. I mean, the lid was closed, so he was leaning against it. And then I think I took the skateboard, and I skated from the other corner across the ring and clotheslined him, and the place popped like I did something spectacular. It was crazy. So how do you, how do you take something and make it look believable that you're like take a Nintendo for example Mikey someone hands you a Nintendo how do you go ahead and use that Nintendo without legitimately you know hurting the guy well if you're Tommy Dreamer you don't (laughs) (laughs) or how about a clutch Jerry remember Don Marie's clutch Jerry what okay I gotta explain what? that I, there's certain things. We were, we were having a good conversation, <laughs> you were getting along, <laughs> and you gotta bring this fucking shit up. So, is there a story behind this, or is Jerry just bringing up a purse for no reason? No, no. no. There's a <laughs> story. To this day, to this day, I wake up in the morning. Tinnitus. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jerry. Now you, you've you've kind of teased us here. What the hell happened with Don Marie's clutch? Well, you know, she she had the always had a purse with her. And it came time, I can't remember what the angle was or what was going on. I think it was when, were you turning, Mikey, or what? What was going on? Oh, I turned. I, I okay. turned. <laughs> 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 but, uh, so I was supposed to clock Mikey with Don Marie's purse. And I was thinking, you know, it'd be a... a regular size purse. Well, I get this purse and it's a tiny little clutch. It's not even a full size purse. And I'm thinking, well, I've got to make this look good. (laughs) Otherwise the fans are going to crap all over it. I pretty much swung for left field fence. (laughs) To this day, Mikey will never let me live it down. I have never (laughs) been hit so hard in my life. It did make a sickening whop sound. Did you have something in it or what? No. It would have been better if I could have gave him a love tap and then pulled a brick out of it. And the people would have popped. We were talking about weapons. Only thing thing popped was my eardrum. (laughs) And your jaw. Every time you saw me, you'd tell me at first it was the next weekend. Yeah, I had to sip out of a straw for a week. Then the next time I saw you, I had to sip out of a straw for three weeks. It it got longer and longer every time. It never went away. (laughs) So he just straight up jacked you with just a a, a clutch in his hand. I thought I owed him money. I'm like, do I owe money? Did I sleep with his girlfriend? Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I thought we were, I thought we were, we were, we were buddies. <laughs> it probably was the my girlfriend at the time. If you just slept with her, I would have thanked you for taking her away. <laughs> Good evening. We're going, <laughs> Good we're evening. going there, guys. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> I, don't, I can't hear you. All I heard was. <laughs> <laughs> so frying pans, Nintendos, what what else? Was there anything else that kind of came to mind that stood out? Like, what? who in the hell would bring this? The fans. Very I unique so. people. I think I actually saw an actual kitchen sink one time. You did? Okay. I was 
I'm wondering if I was imagining it, but I could have swore I did see one. I, I use it to write the butt out of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, when uh, Candido called me after I was done with WCW and asked me, he said, yeah, because I always swore up and down just from watching on TV, ECW. I said, that's one company I will never work for. And uh, Candido calls me up and asks me, he says, yeah, Polly wants to know if you, if you want to come in and do a couple shots. And I said, sure. And I said, uh, here's how much I want. And then I said, and one more thing. I said, I don't want some idiot hitting me in the head with a frying pan. And he <laughs> said, no, no, no. We, we got our wrestlers and we got our brawlers. But little did I know, I didn't end up being hit in the head with that stupid candlestick a hundred times and put through so many tables and get a steel chair kicked through my skull. <laughs> yeah, Mikey and I, we, we uh, rewrote the song Walk for Pantera. Jeez. Oh, we did. It was, it was the RVD version. Yes. So when you, you because you said Chris Candida was the one who was kind of the liaison between you and Paul, which brought you in, Jerry. Yeah. So was it just the fact that they agreed to what you were looking for that brought you in? Because it, you know, obviously it sounds like you were hesitant to doing that. Was it because Chris kind of, <clears throat> you know, signed off on it that everything would be good? You just kind of took his word for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, when he said that, I was I was cool with it because I I'd, I'd known Chris for I don't know I'm trying to think how many years before that because he came up to Minneapolis when Dennis Carluzzo ran a couple combined shows with Ed Sharkey I got to wrestle Chris for the first time up there so I'd known him and I knew he wouldn't BS me so if I got there and they said you know oh by the way you're going to be hit with a uh, baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, I would say, no, I'm not. <laughs> I will kick you and you will drop it. Was, was there anything you had to agree to as far as these wild weapon situations that you didn't want to, but, I mean, you really didn't have much of an option? No. I mean, if something would have came up, I, I would have said no. You know, that I didn't feel comfortable with. But, you know, and nobody, but you, you'd have no. done it anyway. You'd have done it anyway. What do you mean? Well, you'd say no, but you, you, you'd end up doing it anyway. Like, no, you, it depends. Like, I, I, no. you know, I, everyone says it reminds me of crazy stuff I did, which, you know, to a normal person, yeah, it's crazy. But in wrestling, I would always take calculated risks. Cause, like, if you'd ever notice, if I do something where I'm landing on the ladder, I'd always make sure the ladder was leaning on the middle rope so it would at least give and bounce a little instead of laying flat on the mat. You're so smart. Not really. Look what I did for 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you, you said, when Jerry says he'll never do something, he'll do it. I'll never work for ECW. There was i'll never join twitter there he was okay all right you made your point so what was your what was your first interactions with paul jerry what was what was that like did you when you first met him did you think this guy's on the up and up or did you think eh, there's something to this guy i i don't know to tell you the truth i can't even real really remember the first exact i'm sure it was because the first match was up in uh waltham massachusetts and so i really don't remember the exact moment i met him like it, you know it's but you know i'm sure it was just a hey nice to meet you and and i thanked him I'm sure because uh, it was uh, Chris, Shane Douglas, and Bam Bam picked me up at the airport, and I was just assuming, you know, I was just going to wrestle the the double shot that weekend and as like a tryout, you know. But as soon as I got in the car, Chris turns around and says, "By the way, Polly says you're on everything." So I was like, "Wow!" Didn't even have to have a tryout match. I was shocked. So that's how that started. So what's that like going through TSA with uh, with those guys when you get picked up? I mean, it, it's it's a very eclectic group. Would you agree? Well. They were already through. They were waiting out at the curb for me. But it's interesting when you're uh, waiting in baggage claim and you can hear Jamie Dundee halfway across the airport. It looks like a quarter of a mile away at the top of his lungs <laughs> screaming at you. <laughs> and then you see balls come off the plane 
and he's wearing nothing but big, bright, yellow, smiley face boxers. Oh, jeez! I love balls. I miss him. Yeah. What was your What was your impression when you first walked into the ECW arena? Did you feel like what is this, or did you feel like yeah, it's not that bad? No, I said the same thing. Wow. This is it. <laughs> it was a dilapidated warehouse. <laughs> it was just, it was a dive, but it didn't surprise me. I was like, you know, that's wrestling. Cause I've wrestled in some, I've wrestled in places that probably should have been condemned. Shouldn't even have had people inside them. So and, in some ways, the ECW arena looked good compared to them. Oh yeah. At least there was a bathroom and a shower. I was shocked. Oh, that shower. Oh, but oh, the shower wasn't the greatest, but at least there was one there. But, uh, <laughs> But what really became a pattern was every time we go to a different town and it'd be a new one, as soon as you started seeing barbed wire and bars over windows, you're like, yep, we're getting close to the building. So it, it wasn't really in the best part of town. No. We've heard a lot of the uh, the stories and the legends of, of Paul's pep talks before a show. So, Mikey, let me ask you this question. A lot of people say that Paul could make somebody run through a brick wall. Do you feel like the the superlatives that he's given to these speeches were just that? Was the, Were they good? Or do you feel like they might have been a little overinflated? No, they were good. But I think... I think the guys in themselves were hungry, you know, and they wanted to go out there and put on the best show possible. So we already, already had that mindset, you know. Paul just put, like, the icing on the cake, you know, and just a little bit, little bit more. But we were all there going, you know, like I said before, like, you know, like Jerry said, Land of the Misfit Toys, you know. Everybody there felt like they had something to prove, you know. Show WCW, show WWF that, you know, they, they fucked up by not either not signing them or releasing them or whatever. That we had something to offer. That's right. So we everybody already had that, you know. And just if you just look at the, the guys that came out of there, just the work ethic alone from pretty much everybody there. I mean, that just that just speaks for itself, you know, because a lot of these guys went on to do like really, really good things. So well, you know, ECW is the first place I worked for when you'd come back after a match, and the whole locker room would give you a standing ovation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's true. It like we would have those shows, and if you weren't actively talking about your match, there were literally 40, 50 guys sitting in front of the monitor just just watching the matches. Now, how would you? Hey, Jerry, let me ask you this, and even Mikey, how? Would would you compare that to the other locker rooms you'd been in with like WCW, for example, or was that more everybody was kind of off doing their own thing? It wasn't really a, an all for one type of thing. I mean, you know, ECW, you know, everywhere you go, there's going to be people that you do and do not have chemistry with. So everywhere you go, you'll have your clicks and stuff. But in ECW, everyone still cheered everyone on and wanted everyone to do well and have a great show. Now, in the other companies, you had your cliques and, uh, you know, it was, and, you know, and granted, everywhere you're going to have politics. And ECW, there was, it, when TV got bigger and stuff, you could sense there was shuffling around and politics started to kick in a little, little bit, but not at the scale of WCW and WWF. Plus, when there's, the sad thing is, I mean, and it's in any industry, any business, it could be in, you know, the music industry, Hollywood, and it doesn't have to be even just entertainment. It could be like my job, any regular job where you're, people are, wanting to climb the corporate ladder and make more money. It's just people change when it comes to when there's a good possibility of some good money being made, and that's a sad thing. But uh, I forgot where I was going on this. I was going off on a tangent, but, but at ECW, you know, everyone was really rooting for each other, and we wanted to have a good show. And like Mikey said, you know, everyone wanted... And that, the one thing, too, with ECW was, and I always say this in wrestling in general, is and what sets wrestling apart from any other sport or entertainment, I should say, but I, I still can 
consider it a sport is the unique relationship between the wrestlers and the fans because it's a give and take situation and you feed off of each other and the more wild and rowdy the fans are the more we're willing to go out there and kill ourselves and that's what made ECW was the fans because they were there just to have a great time and you know one minute they'd be chanting you effed up and 30 seconds later they're chanting this is awesome the the fans in ECW were awesome and made us even want to go out there and kill ourselves more for them. What do you think? I mean, I know you kind of touched upon this as so my kind of like a dumb question, but when you when you talk about the fans themselves, and obviously they were they were ravenous, but would you say what kept bringing them back? And the reason why they were so anti the other two companies is because they get that feeling from you guys that you're one of us. You know what I mean? Meaning society kind of maybe might look down on us, but yet we are still as valuable. We are still important people in that we can still do great things as well just because we don't work for a big company. Do you feel like it was kind of that camaraderie with the fans and the wrestlers? Yes. It's 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 so weird, too, because it's almost like this is the weird part about it. All the fans in Philly, the ECW fans, they claim to be smart smart fan you know, smart, the, the, you know smart mark smart smart fans right well we, we had some of the most knowledgeable fans but they were the ones that were the most willing to suspend disbelief and, and believe everything we were doing you know we we tried to keep you know kayfabe you know a, a long lost term we, we tried to keep that we tried to keep it going you know we, we had the heels and the babies we tried not to be seen together in public and you know it was just we tried to to keep up you know the, the perception you know and they were willing to go along with it so it just it was just all around it just a great atmosphere they were very demanding you know what i mean but when you when things were clicking and hitting on all cylinders and you gave them what they wanted and and you know you guys were you know we were on you know we, we were hitting it i mean they fucking appreciated it and they loved it and if you fucked up and they didn't like what they were getting they would tell you and paul was very smart and he's still very smart of keeping his finger on the pulse of pop culture he knew that that extreme was going to be a buzzword he knew that back in 94 early early 94 he was telling us that no extreme is going to be the you know that's going to be the, the hot term the hot phrase you know coming up here and he went on it and he just you know he took what the WWF and WCW was doing and he did the complete opposite of that. You know, he would he would have these angles that were like shoot angles and he would let us, you know, talk shit about WCW and WWF and, you know, Shane Douglas ripping on Ric Flair and all this other shit, you know, which the thing other guy, other things weren't doing. So it gave that sense of realism, you know, plus the, the style we were working. It, it just lightning in a bottle, man. It, it was really just, you know. The right minds and the right guys at the right place with the right fans in the right in the right city. And years later, I was talking with that guy, and he, he would he told me he says, you know, he said that he was there just to have fun and go along, go with the flow. He said even if there was if he liked the heel better than the baby face, he would still cheer the baby face and boo the heel just to go with it, you know. And that wow. that, that makes it more fun too. It makes you know, yeah, it's it was definitely unique. Definitely something that, you know, lo looking back, you really appreciate it now, looking back, you know, just how, how fun it was. And just li like Jerry said it before, uh, you know, best time of my life as far as my career goes was ECW. I took that little paid vacation to WCW there for a year. <laughs> but, you know, but, but even that, like... If the situation in, in ECW wasn't what it was, I wouldn't have left. I, my body was already breaking down back then. So I got to go to WCW. And at the time, I was complaining that I wasn't working. But actually going to WCW, making some money, catching up on bills, and not really working too much, letting my, let my body heal up a little bit, got me a couple more years out of it. You know, Plus, when I went back to ECW, you know, I, I was hungry again. And ready to kind of, you know, look, okay, look, they, they fucked up. 
when I was down there, you know. So now I'm back here in ECW, kind of where I feel I belong, and, you know, let me start over. What do you think about the the stories that have come out since then? And there's been a lot of different ones basically saying that, and I know Tommy has talked about this numerous times, that Paul was was getting paid by Vince from the word Jump Street, you know, that, that basically at the end of the day, he really was, you know, he was getting paid. He, he and Vince had an agreement. Do you think there's any legitimacy to any of that, or do you think that that's just, just a couple of people who feel strongly about it, but that's not the general consensus? Or do you think Paul was definitely in it for Paul, and Paul wanted to see his company succeed? I don't know. When I look back on it, I almost think it was like a farm league for Vince. Because look at how many guys he take, and Paulie would let him go. Which is good good of Paulie. Why begrudge someone going and making some money, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think for one minute that Paul's ultimate goal was to go work for the WWF. Not, I'd agree with that. Not in the least. No. he. I think he always liked to... I mean, he was great at booking. Right. So... You know, Harry Slash answered the phone and said, can I talk to Paul, please? And Harry's like, who's this? Vince. And Harry goes, Vince who? And you just hear, McMahon! So, you know, it was one of those, well, that's interesting, you know, but, you know, Paul did what he had to do, you know, and if, if he was taking money from WWF because they were, you know, he was using their guys or, or whatever the reason was, and that, that kept, e- kept ECW going just a little bit longer, well, Paul did what he had to do, you know, Paul, yeah. he's not stupid, and a lot of guys, I hear guys, they talk shit about Paul, and they bury Paul, and fuck Paul this, and fuck Paul that, you'll never hear that from me, you know. Was Paul perfect? No. Was Paul a great businessman? No. But I will say this, and I'll say this to the day I die, without Paul Heyman, you would not be talking to me now. That's true. I and I'm one of those guys who, who I was angry and I buried him and whatever, but I eventually I, I uh, came to my senses and I, I, re- I don't know, I ran into him down here in Nashville at the, when they came and did a ride, went and talked to Brock and I saw Paul and I, I apologized to him and I thanked him and in all reality, all he did was give me a payday. Yeah. You know? So what do you, where where do you think all this hatred for Paul or this negativity comes from? Do you think it's it's just people who are just bitter, who didn't feel like maybe their career went as far as they had hoped and, and he's just an easy scapegoat? Or do you think that some people, maybe on a one-on-one basis, did legitimately have some, some issues with him? Well, for me, it was... Checks bouncing. Well, and I was gonna, you know. I was gonna get to that too when it comes to the money stuff because we've heard about these stories, guys, and you guys lived it. So, Jerry, I mean, so w- what was your feeling about the the check situation? Well, it's kind of my own fault because once the checks start bouncing, I didn't have to keep going back. You know, it was like playing a slot machine. I was slowly getting farther and farther behind. But I, you know, I could have just stopped, left, and went and got a regular job or something. You know, but I always had that hope that, you know, a TV deal would break or something. But so really, I can't really just blame him. It's part of my fault. I kept coming back even when the, you know, so it's my ignorance and stupidity, too. And like I said, what did he do? He gave me an opportunity to make a paycheck for three and a half, four years, however long I was there. Mikey, let me ask you that question. Do you are you kind of in that same category? I mean, did you ever ever have any issue with any any payoffs or not getting compensated for what you felt like you should have? Yeah. I think everybody did, you know, and you know, when the, the, the first round of checks bouncing, I guess in 98, I guess it was, and I was behind And What was happening was I was getting, uh, the checks for the ring crew. So I was getting, you know, $1,500, checks every week to cover ring, ring, ring crew expenses, you know? So I was getting those checks and they were bouncing. So I was laying out money for the ring crew out of my checking account. So my paycheck was bouncing. My expense check was bouncing. So I was really in the hole, you know? So when, when WCW called, it was one of those, I gotta go. Like, I can't even, I am so far behind at this point. Like, and they're offering this, this kind of money. I said, I just gotta go, you know? Did I want to go? No, not really. 
You know, because we, we were just starting this kind of working on Turning Me Heel with Jerry and Lance. And the timing wasn't good as far as the creative part goes. But I just had to go because I was so far in the red. Like, I was, it was a point, like, I couldn't even leave my house. You know, my, my, my bank account, my, my bank wouldn't let me deposit checks anymore. <laughs> you know, I was, I was bouncing checks left and right. So it was, it was just a bad situation, you know. So I left and came back, you know, had some money in the bank. I was, I was in good shape. They were doing a little bit better. You know, checks weren't bouncing. And then when they started bouncing again, I go, oh, here we go, you know. But again, like Jerry said, I didn't have to go. I didn't have to go to work, you know. I can very easily say, no, not going. But because, you know, we, we love the wrestling business, you know, we, we love performing for everybody. We love the camaraderie we had with all the guys. You know, it, it was just, it was work, but it wasn't work at the same time, you know. So, and the guys that are mad about it, it's like, look, this is like going on almost 20 years ago now. If 15, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars from 20 years ago is still going to ha- keep you bitter and still keep you angry and to hold a grudge. I mean, that, that's fine for you, but as far as I go, it's just not worth it. Life really oh. is too short. Yeah. You know, why harp on the negative about things that happened 20 years ago? Yeah. I, I would much rather, if I saw Paul, say, hey, you owe me 75 grand. You know, I'd rather say, hey, remember that time we did this? And just get a laugh about it. That, that's where I'm at, you know. But to each his own. I mean, if you if you want to be bitter and angry, I mean, you absolutely you have that right to do it. That's just not me. Do you think that that type of camaraderie you're talking about in the locker room, do you think, and you guys have been in a lot of them doing different shows, you think you'll ever see something like ECW again? And, and I know a lot of people, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to recreate what once was. Do you think that'll ever happen again? Or do you think that's one of those things that you'll look back on and say, man, that was such a trend-setting moment with what Paul was doing that we're not going to see that again, especially not this day and age? I don't. I don't think so. You get you, you go to some of these shows where, like NYWC is a good example in Long Island, where ninety five percent of the talent there was homegrown talent from the school, so they had that camaraderie just because you know they're all friends and they all hang out together. I mean that's just how it was. But from I see most of the indies you go to, it's like you know a click here, a click there, a click here, and it's not you know it's it's just I don't get that same vibe. Maybe because I'm older. <laughs> I, you know, we have to talk to think it's, today to see what they think. But I think it just depends on the promotion and itself because, I mean, you see promotions like PWG out now in California and that place they run, they got that hot atmosphere. And then you got, you know, Ring of Honor, get some hot crowds. And you, it, now the indies are so hot. I think they got their own little, you know, it's not nationwide like ECW was because it's like everywhere we went, the fans were rabid, but uh, the indies are hot now. But even the last few years I wrestled, I'd go to a show and walking in the locker room was like walking into a visitation at a funeral home. And I'm thinking, isn't anyone have wow. fun here? I was like, what is going on? It was just a bad vibe. And I always, you know, even when I do seminars, I tell the guys, I say, always make sure you're having fun. Otherwise, why bother? Exactly. So to kind of put a bow tie on this uh, this initial episode about Paul Heyman, what would you say at the end of the day would be a few words that you would use to describe Paul? I mean, because obviously we've used words, you know, in this episode like innovator. And he was kind of on the pulse of what society was. So what would you say, Jerry, would be a way you would describe Paul in in one sentence? Oh, man. Um, He was very creative. And like you were talking about earlier, he was very inspirational with his speeches and very motivational. Like, you know, there are so many guys. I mean, by the end of the pre-show speech, you'd be willing to go out there and jump off the top of the building, which New Jack did many times. <laughs> but, yeah, he was creative and inspirational and motivational. Same uh, same thing with you, Mikey. What uh, Obviously, you guys have different experiences with him, but what would what would you say would be the way you would describe him? I mean, how can you explain him? Like, so, there's some people you just can't explain. Well, that's true, too. You know, like, you, you, you know, you could, you could all say, oh, he was creative. Oh, he was, 
motivating. Oh, he was. You, you make know, it sound like I'm boring. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you do give you do give seminars. You sound you sound very you know college professor esque. I will say that. Jerry. Oh, great! Just wait till we get on some other topics. It'll be back to Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, what can you say? Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman. That's all you can say. He's Paul. You know, there, there's so many words that could describe him, but he, he's he's Paul, and that's just that's just it. He's Paul. T- to me, he's Paul. He's Paulie, you know. That's a good way of putting it. He is what he is. He is. Guys, I have uh, I've enjoyed this, and I I know people are going to be digging this. This first initial episode we've discussed with uh, with Jerry and Mikey, and our topic, Paul Heyman. I want to ask you this question before we uh, we kind of sign off here. Is there anything else you guys want to let people know about the podcast? What uh, what nuances or nuances you guys want to go ahead and inject into this and make things fun? And what kind of fan interaction you guys are looking for? Well, I'd well, like to the fans let us know what topics or you know what things they want to hear about i'd like to have segments i don't know i was just throwing out ideas about having like a a botch of the week and we can bring up a botch that we've had in our matches which mikey says he's never botched <laughs> so, <laughs> so i mean that's 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 your segment jerry okay that'll be my segment you know but yeah just like i don't like this one is is just i feel like it's just just rambling on and on like it's like you know, which is great. But like Jerry said, we we want the fans to pretty much dictate to us what they want. You know, we could think, oh, we're gonna do this, this, and this. But if they have ideas, let us hear them. You know, we we Jerry and I, we even when I mean, as far as I can't speak for Jerry on this, but even for matches, you know. I kind of had an idea what I wanted to do, but I always loved just getting the vibe from the people and just, if necessary, changing direction and giving them, you know, what they want. If we, you know, we, we, we're going to do this, this, and this. And if it's not working, well, then we'll change gears. We'll go to plan B. We'll go to plan C. So that's kind of how I'm taking this one is just kind of, kind of start off, do what we're doing and get feedback from the fans of what they want to see. And, you know, start, in, you know, implementing some of this, you know, like Jerry said with the segments and things like that. And eventually we'll, we'll get the, you know, we'll get the formula down and how we're going to do it. And hopefully the people like it and, uh, you know, and they enjoy it. Well, guys, let us know what your thoughts are, what your feedback is, because there's so many different ways to reach out to us on social media. Mikey, what is your Twitter handle and how can people go ahead and get a hold of you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That, that used to be my line. I'm going to look right now. I want to look at these Twitter stats, and I want to see how many followers I have. I have. Nine, you are still bitter about this. Nine, that, why? I have 9,949 followers on Twitter, and let's look up Jerry. Oh, boy. what's Who has been on Twitter for a cup of coffee. Let's see here. 24, probably 24 hours at this point. Uh, yeah, I think I did it last night. It's Jerry Lynn. Let's say 3,083. Is, wow. is that good? Is that good? Is that good? I don't know. I'm new. Jerry, stuff. that is that's that's damn good. In twenty four hours. Oh well, what I like like Mikey said earlier. I think Mikey said that I had to have my daughter and my wife help me set it up. Well, my daughter's going. Uh, well, don't feel bad because you you might not have a lot of followers because you're not famous. And I go, okay, you know, wow, or you're not that well known or whatever she said. And I'm like, okay, so I got it all set up, and I think within about five ten minutes, I had like she comes and looks and she goes eighty six. It was like. 80 some followers and she was shocked she goes uh she says well not bad she says maybe you are a little famous for a nobody (laughs) (laughs) your flesh and blood is criticizing you oh it took it took me six weeks to get 83 followers she's she's a little ball buster (laughs) she keeps me humble i'll tell you that well you guys can go ahead and find the boys on social media. You can find Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey, tell them your, your handle. I don't know. Hold on. I, can I tell him mine? Yes, Jerry, go ahead and tell him yours. It's Jerry Lynn. That's good. Now, see, I got stuck with this stupid, shitty fucking Whipwreck name, which is so fucking long that I... <laughs> 
What is my thing? Mike? It's it's Mikey Wickrack and then underscore. Is that what that thing at the end is after the K? With a, yes, it's an underscore. Okay. So you can follow Mikey Wickrack. It's an underline. The, yes. <laughs> Mikey calls an underline. It's an underscore. So it's Mikey Wickrack then an underscore. And it's Jerry Lynn. Guys, I recommend you going and following them. Go ahead and click the follow. They're a great follow. They interact with the fans. So I think that is a good thing. If you want to follow me, which you guys are blowing me out of the water, I, I literally gained about 100 followers since we announced the show coming out. Jerry got, what, over 1,000. But you can follow me. I'm at Mike Freeland, M-I-K-E-F-R-E-L-A-N-D. And uh, I'll be pulling up uh, the hind rear on this one. But you can follow me on as well. We will be launching a show Twitter account, so stay tuned for that one as well. We'll probably be announcing that in the very near future. I also recommend you guys cruising on over to Pro Wrestling Tees. You can go ahead and click on the search icon and type in Mikey Whipwreck. He has all of his designs for his shirts. Go ahead and get yourself a shirt. If you're a real fan, you're going to go ahead and get yourself a shirt. Do the same thing with Jerry Lynn. Type his name in there. He's got designs as well. And I've got two and more Mikey, coming out. Two more designs. Two more that are and coming out. One's the new ref and show. Since I refed on All In, I thought, well, all right, we'll do the new ref and show shirt. Wow. It's not out yet. And, it will be. And, and Mikey, what uh, I noticed you were letting Twitter followers know, if they want to go ahead and get autographed pictures, what is the best way to go ahead and do that with you? Shoot me a DM on Twitter. That's the best way to do it. Down in the DM. <laughs> Down in the ghetto. So, Mikey, will you feel better if I follow you? You don't fucking follow me. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I already follow you. Jeez. <laughs> All right, as I try to pull these guys apart, thank you so much for listening to Front Row Material. I am Mike Freeland. We will see you next time on Front Row Material. Say bye, guys. Where's my clutch? Well, I ought to...